four, three, two, one. Thanks for tuning in to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The most influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. It's difficult to pinpoint the ancestry of compounding pharmacy. If you think of combining different agents, you have a form, a basic form of a medication, uh, you have the condition that you're kind of jumping on top of as a compounding pharmacist. However, the art of compounding medications can be linked to the origins of pharmacy itself. And the first documented chemical processes can be traced back as far as the Egyptian times, which is kind of interesting to me. I love history like that. I'm pharmacist number one fan. My name is Todd Yuri. If you have never listened to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, welcome to today's conversation. We have always wanted to dig deeper into compounding pharmacy, especially when there are disease states out there that really tie into how a compounding pharmacist can uh, be leveraged, the expertise of a compounding pharmacist. This is extremely important. Just got back from the National Community Pharmacist Association meeting, met up with a lot of pharmacists out there and pharmacy owners who are doing non-sterile compounding. But then there's that whole other side of sterile compounding, which is quite important. And we know how this has evolved. We know that originally in commonplace for physicians to both prescribe and compound their patients' medications themselves, it wasn't until like the 19th century that we saw the pharmacist rise and the compounding pharmacist rise. I feel like we're coming full circle because the rise of the compounding pharmacist and the meticulousness of their knowledge of ingredients and in sterile uh, compounding and in the specifics and the technology go the, that goes with it. This is the time. This is the time for our compounding pharmacists to rise again. And it's a new age. So I couldn't think of a better person to bring on than Peter Koshlin. Dr. Koshlin is the CEO and head pharmacist of Koshlin Farm. Peter, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thanks, Todd. Great to be with you. Good to be with you too. So let's kick it off. We both have a a, a common friend in Scott Bruner. He is the CEO of the Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding and really appreciated him and his career, how he grew out of government relations with the NCPA, his interconnectivity to other portions of, of, of pharmacy. But then I come back and think of the compounding pharmacist Talk about how you got into compounding pharmacy and, and share a little bit about on your background. Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I went to UCSF School of Pharmacy, which is a very good school of pharmacy, but their compounding curriculum actually really turned me off of compounding when I was in pharmacy school because it was basically a curriculum. I think it was developed in like the 1950s and had never really been updated much. And in fact, I graduated, graduated in 2000 and the next year they tore out the compounding lab and put in a computer lab, which just kind of showed at that time where people's priorities were. Um, We made things like tooth powder and handmade suppositories, stuff that just seemed really antiquated to me. So it wasn't until a few years into my career that I went back and I actually, one of my managers sent me to Houston to do a uh, 
compounding training. And I saw that compounding, it was completely different than what I had learned in school and actually had become quite modern and interesting. And I would say even since then, that was in like 2005, even since then, it's kind of taken leaps and bounds and advanced tremendously, especially in the last five years or so. And it really just turned me back onto it because it fit my desires as a practitioner really well. I, I UCSF really pushed their students and still do into, into clinical, into hospital, but I really loved outpatient. I loved community pharmacy. I loved the long-term relationships. I liked having conversations with people at the counter. It was just a better fit for me. But what I lost with that in some ways was that in-depth clinical ability to co collaborate with doctors, to be on a team, to use my clinical knowledge, which is kind of, you know, we get PharmDs and then it's like, we don't want to use that stuff. So compounding allowed me to kind of bring that back to a community setting and really put myself out to doctors to say, hey, we can actually collaborate and you can utilize me as a pharmacist resource for really difficult to treat patients. It allowed some creativity. It, you know, it's just, it's just very interesting. And at the end of the day, I feel like we get really great patient outcomes because I think many of us and most of us that I've encountered going to healthcare because there's a certain aspect of like wanting to help people. It's a, it's a service type of job. You want to help people get well. And I think in our, in our world, there's certain areas where it, you know, the traditional approaches are working well for some, but we're hitting a lot of roadblocks with others. And I feel like with compounding, we just are, are able to continue to iterate and, and try new stuff and learn more about the patient, what's working, what's not working. And for that reason, I feel really satisfied with like the level of patient response that I get with what we do, which is at the end of the day, really what it's all about. So there are more NDCs today than ever before, um, individual medications that have been developed and packetized and, and pushed out, especially pharmacy has really um, been a, a force uh, to, to change where the compounding pharmacist was much needed uh, before they pack, you know, package specific medications based on the disease state. Where do you see compounding leading? Which disease states are sticking out to you more than others where you say this is where compounding pharmacists could really excel? It's interesting with all the advancements in pharmacotherapy, there's, I think kind of, it's the, you know, what's old is new. I mean, it's still kind of the same stuff we've been doing in the last 20 years. That's still extremely relevant. It's chronic disease, it's hormone replacement, thyroid replacement, dermatology, men's health. I mean, there, there's still just a lot of places where there's therapies that have existed for many years and they're just not being manufactured or people need them at dosages that aren't being manufactured where there's still really valid therapies. So with all the advancement, um, there's still a lot that we bring to the table that has, you know, has a real clinical utility for, for patients. So um, yeah, there's just, I always say that there isn't a doctor alive that I can't find something that I can do to help one of their patients and doctors, you know, they, they see a spectrum of patients and we always say we kind of exist, you know, maybe they exist kind of on a bell curve and we're kind of for the 10% on the edges of the curve that are just not responding to that traditional pharmacotherapy. I mean, we're not seeing ourselves as a replacement for that. We're really just trying to augment options for those patients that are just not thriving with the traditional options. So I think of 
what my limited knowledge was of of compounding it really did come through uh the original formation um of the national organization which became the alliance for pharmacy compounding and that really opened my eyes to different uh, conditions in different disease states where the compounding pharmacist was the specific treatment uh, provider and the and the individual, the pharmacist who, the, who were really helping the patient for urology and thyroid disorders and pain management, hormone replacement. So I can't wait to dig into uh, the knowledge that you have and also you bring on other um, experts in, in the authority of different sectors of medicine and in treatment where compounding pharmacy fits best. What do you think the biggest challenges are today for our, for our compounders? Do you see anything in place where you're saying we really have to attack this as a, as a, as an organization together, um, rather compounding pharmacist or even the help of, of other sectors of pharmacy? And clearly the biggest challenge for compounders is the regulatory apparatus that seems to not value us to the extent that we deserve, to be honest. And I, I, you know, I think about this a lot because we kind of, we talked about this a little bit before we started, but there's this huge demand and desire for patients to have customized options. People are um, generally skeptical of just getting a pill and going away. They want, you know, better, you know, non-pharmaceutical options. They want better counseling. Um, so there's this huge kind of interest and push from the patient side. And I think doctors are feeling that too. So we're getting reached out to by more and more doctors. And then we have the regulatory apparatus that's trying to fit us into a box as if we were a, a pharmaceutical product. And we're really not. I mean, we're a, we're a pharmacy. We're dispensing to one patient based on one prescription that comes in. We have a relationship with the patient. We counsel the patient. They have our phone number. You know, it's not like we're making things and distribute them across the country. But the regulatory apparatus just does not comprehend this aspect of what we do. And this is kind of mentioned it's like this is kind of like the old becoming the new it's like this is what's pharmacy in the 1950s this was every pharmacist was mixing stuff up um the current regulatory bodies want to put us in the box that allows them to have control and put us through the, the narrow confines of their understanding of what we do the truth of the matter is if that happened a lot of people would be harmed because patients health is very complex we need to have flexibility to treat them in the way that really puts the goal of them being well, being having their disease condition, if not cured, at least managed in a way that gives them a high quality of life. And it just doesn't fit into a box. It's complex, it needs flexibility, and that's where we come in. So we understand that quality assurance is important, responsible utilization of medications and counseling and all that stuff is important. And we just need to have the doors opened a little bit, the walls moved out a little bit so that we have the ability to really put the patient at the center of what we do and their health, rather than just making sure that we've checked off the regulatory check boxes. And that's really where we're at right now. And we're, our, our professions, the walls are coming in more and more. And every time the walls move in a little bit, patients get left out. And that's just the bottom line. And, and, and they don't see it. And we try to say, hey, listen, these, here's some testimonials of people who will be impacted by these decisions and it's just it's like talking to a brick wall it just it just does not register and that's unfortunate because 
at the end of the day, we should all be thinking about the health and wellness of our patients, whether you're at the FDA, at the State Board of Pharmacy, or in a pharmacy. <laughs> and yet it feels like for us, we're the ones trying to say, listen, <laughs> you know, it's not just about us and our small businesses here and survival, but it's also about our patients' access to stuff that's really making a difference for them. And you mentioned all these different areas. There's just tremendous amount of impact we can have for people who need something like what we what would provide. I've said this time and time again, probably I, I repeat things like a parrot, but I'm the most intelligent parrot within the pharmaceutical industry because I am parroting what my favorite providers are saying. And I'm listening to you over and over and over again. There are some similarities that are coming from our pharmacists. And that is why is the rest of the industry trying to close those walls in around us, rather that's PBMs or rather than that's restricted access or rather, you know, hey, let's get rid of compounding and create, you know, one pill that the pharma manufacturers can finally take more control of so that they have more profit. It's very irritating as an observer of my favorite providers who are restricted from doing what they were designed to do from an educational perspective and knowing the pharmacological impacts of medications and drug-drug interactions and food interactions and everything that's taking place for someone who is very fragile. And I'm thinking of our most fragile of patients. I'm thinking of our seniors and I'm thinking how senior care ties into compounding pharmacy for very specific treatments that they need, especially the topicals. And then I think of medical cannabis and how it's becoming known that when it's compounded in a topical for pain management, it's becoming a huge game changer and, and the, the compounding pharmacists know it. And when I think of pharma, I think, you know what, it's almost like the love-hate relationship. I absolutely love them because they're brilliant and they're designing these amazing medications and they're advancing the profession. And as long as they give the baton from the physician to the pharmacist and allow the pharmacist to do what they were designed to do, you know, great. And then you got the other side of the, of the coin, which is we're going to make more money and we're going to up our stock rating and we're going to, you know, hammer out the uh, compounding pharmacist because we want to control this strictly based on profits. And that's what we have to constantly advocate for is understanding the power of staying in your lane, the power of knowing what the strengths are of our sectors of pharmacy, our, our hospital pharmacists, our specialty pharmacists. Peter, there are pharmacists out there who are subject matter experts in understanding how the metabolism of you versus me will react to a specific medication in pharmacogenomics and how to leverage those tools and diagnostic tools to quickly make changes. So when I'm thinking of changes because of how different everyone is, I come back to compounding pharmacy and I say, there may be a condition where you sprinkle in something very specific, an ingredient that's a little bit different or a little bit different in the measurement to ensure that we're helping this patient with their specific condition. Can you kind of elaborate on where I'm going with this as a non-pharmacist and really understanding it as you're as your talking head. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, there, I can think of so many examples. I mean, just one comes to mind. And I think part of it is what's really fun about it for me as a practitioner. And just to say, 
I, you know, kind of to reiterate what something you mentioned is like, I didn't just fall off the trumpet. Like I may have a farm D I, I want to be able to practice medicine with my patients at the center of what I do. So anything that constrains that I think is, is, you know, harming patient care. But, you know, I think a lot of what we do is relying on our understanding of physiology, anatomy, farm chem, all the stuff we learned, you know, kind of doing a deep dive for some of these conditions. And I think about uh, a guy we work with locally here, who's a kind of a well-known Lyme disease doctor. And he was having an issue with a lot of his patients getting what's called a Herzheimer's reaction with their antibiotic therapy and wanted to explore some different options. So kind of talked to him, you know, he came to me because this is kind of what we're doing. We're trying to get to doctors say, Hey, if you have these issues, you know, let me know. We can put our heads together, which is amazing. Cause I learned from him about his practice. I'm being able to use all the stuff I talked about physiology, farm chem, pharmacology, and so you know, we're like, okay, well, this is a this is a mast cell condition. We know that it's based on kind of like a toxic shock from, from bacterial cell wall and a large die off of the bacteria. So let's look at some of our mast cell uh, stabilizing drugs. You know, and chromium came to mind. We also work with ketotifen, which is also a mast cell stabilizer. So it's like, well, now let's look in the pharmacokinetics. Let's look in the literature. And we're like, okay, I think this is a good option. It seems like it's safe. The side effect profile seems acceptable. It has oral absorption. Let's give this a try. So we started giving some of his patients oral chromalin. I had never seen this before in a regular pharmacy setting, but it made a lot of sense from a pharmacological and patient-specific way. And it worked amazingly well. It really helped with these patients. So now they're pre-treating with some oral chromalin. They're not having the Herxheimer's reaction. They're not getting toxic shock or you know, hypotension or even worse, you know, maybe even a trip to the emergency room in a worst case scenario. And that's kind of a good example of kind of some of the things we do when we collaborate with these doctors. We learn about the conditions. We learn about what's going on physiologically. And then we like start, you know, putting that in our mind and, and doing the research it takes to come up with some good options for the patient. I could give you many, many more, more examples like that. That's kind of a good, good one. So, yeah. Well, I'm excited about today's episode because like I said at the beginning, I think this is a nice stage to re-engage with, um, with you, with compounders, with the Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding. Today's episode is brought to us by APC, the Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding. Don't forget, you've got business that needs to be done and and don't miss out on the expertise of the APC um, compounders on Capitol Hill is happening it's um it's great to be back I just got back from NCPA like I said out of Charlotte got to see people that I haven't seen in two years so it was so nice to be face to face November 2nd through the 3rd November 2nd and 3rd Washington DC um, we'll have in the show notes the link to a the number four pc.org once again that's a 4pc.org um, which is exciting um, are you going to be going to that event too peter you know i had a conflict but I'm, I'm going to see if i can make it now i was able to kind of move some things around so i'm, I'm glad you put it back in front of me but yeah that's a really important it, it we are our industry our comp, little compounder group is small but we're very motivated because we're really passionate about what we do so we are really good about getting on capitol hill and it's interesting talking to legislators about this it's you know it's really compelling i think uh and it's and now we're trying to get that message from the legislators to the regulatory bodies which is kind of an interesting <laughs> transition obviously everything happens way too slowly but uh yeah, we've, we're definitely making progress by just showing up year after year. So it's really important. 
And you know what? It's important to educate those state representatives because they really don't have the time or the expertise to dig down into how a compounding pharmacy interacts with patient care and physicians and the outcomes uh, and nurse practitioners and everyone that, that's on the, the healthcare team of how this impacts patients. So this is a great time to educate uh, these leaders uh, of our nation. And I think it really makes a difference. I, I've participated in other uh, compounders on Capitol Hill, and I know the outcomes of those meetings have meant a lot not only to the the compounding pharmacist, but also the representation that that those that those state representatives go back into their states and their constituents and and are at least able to be coached to be able to answer questions if something comes up in their state with regards to compounding pharmacy and and like you said before we started recording, rather than having these bylines be the end-all be-all, um, you know, objection to compounding pharmacy. There's a lot more detail involved, especially when we're talking about the world of, um, of a more complex compounding, um, you know, treatment um, in, in sterilization and things like that. But this has been awesome, Peter. What, what else did you want to share with our listeners to really set the stage for uh, digging deep, deeper into compounding pharmacy? Yeah, we're just trying to, you know, raise awareness about what, we're up to, you know, really get people excited about the, the, the value of compounding. Um, we have a great website set up through uh, Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding called compounding.com, where people can actually share testimonials, whether you're a practitioner or a patient. We really want to put that together to put in front of legislators and even the FDA if it comes to that, just to show, you know, a really large body of evidence about how this impacts people in a really positive way. And, uh, you know, there, this is this is not a partisan issue. I mean, patient care, taking care of people, getting regulators to let us be practitioners and do what we do best is, you know, this is not something that we should be arguing about. This is absolutely, you know, what we should be able to be doing. So uh, we just want to keep getting the momentum going and uh, make sure that, you know, we can keep doing what we're doing and, and have this available to, to our patients. Well, I believe in you. Our platform believes in you, and we certainly hope that you're going to come back and bring other um, other speakers to dig deeper into specific conditions, specific treatments. I'd like to hear a physician who is a specialist in a condition who understands the power of the partnership between uh, the physician and the compounding pharmacist specifically. So I think these types of conversations not only to advocate for each other within our profession of pharmacy, but more importantly, to advocate for, for uh, patients that can listen to these recordings and really understand what they're going through and to hear the, the intelligent evidence-based discussions happening between physician and pharmacist. So let's, um, let's put a, a pin in that to make sure that we, um, we bookmark to, to come back to it. And I think that would be a, would be a very powerful conversation. Yeah, definitely. You're going to have to build a whole other podcast because we're going to line up. There's so many stories to tell and it's, and it's, it's fun to, to, to share that kind of stuff because there's a lot of positive outcomes that come out of that. So great. I'm going to put your email address in our show notes um, for listeners. You're driving, you're jogging. Don't worry about it. Um, you're going to be able to access um, Peter. Uh, he's also on LinkedIn but it's uh, peter at koshlinfarm.com. Once again, that's peter 
at Koshlin. It's K-O-S-H-L-A-N-D farm.com. Peter, it's has been awesome to talk with you. You are my hero. Um, and I, you know, go community, go community, go um, compounding pharmacy and um, keep pushing, you know, keep understanding that we are making a difference. And I think we have to push back on uh, different uh, entities that that want to close those walls in, especially if they're doing it strictly for uh, profiteering. It's it's that's not cool. I I'm, I'm a capitalist. I believe in profit, but I think there's a balance between profit and profiteering. And um, I see entities that are targeting compounding pharmacists that that need that pushback. Great. Thanks so much, Todd. Really appreciate it. Thank you.